Uh, this morning, I want to talk about uh, what it means to understand the gospel, because I think that most of us, if you were raised uh, in church, it's likely that you have a, a gospel that I believe is part of it, but not necessarily the whole thing. Like Generally, I think when we think about the gospel, we think that uh, Christ has come and died for our sins, and that we are forgiven of our sins, and that it is wonderful and really important and great news. But the thing is that we don't often think about enough is what happens next. The reason Christ comes to die for our sins is that we are at right relationship with God and then right relationship with others. And that should bring for all of us a certain amount of peace and wholeness in the here and now. It isn't just about going somewhere uh, when you die at some other point. I mean, how many of you I've been walking down the street at one time or another and seen one of these. It looks like a $10 bill or a $100 bill, perhaps. Go ahead, Simon. That should be on there, right? Yeah. And, um, and like, it looks like a $10 bill. And then it says, like, are you disappointed? Like, you, you shouldn't be disappointed because you should be thinking about what your reward will be in heaven. How many of you have seen one of those before? A few, handful of people, you've seen one. And I always think these are somewhat uh, interesting evangelistic strategies. I'm not really sure um, how anyone's like gone to church after this and not been just, you know, what? What does this have to do uh, with, with anything? And I think this is often the message that perhaps you were brought up with. I think it's something a little bit that I, that I was brought up with that it is just about like uniting with God so that one day we can get out of eternal punishment. But in reality, Jesus preaches something different, and it's actually modeled uh, throughout the Old Testament what it looks like for us to live out the commands of God in the here and now. Because what you do, it matters. And we all know this. There's consequences to actions. There are decisions that you made yesterday or decisions that you will make today that will have implications for your life at some point. You don't even know how, how far along it's going to take. One way that I learned that, I was a, a grad assistant when I was in my graduate program, and we had a, a class of 300 students, and the teacher, the regular professor would teach on Monday and Wednesday, and then us, the grad assistants, we had 30 students that we would take on Friday. And it is hard, like, teaching for any of you who do education, it's extremely difficult, and I tip my cap uh, to you, because it is not easy to keep the attention of 30 students, and so I thought I would curry some favor with my students and give them the, the holy grail of extra credit. And so I, like on one of the early Fridays, I said, all right, we're going to do this thing. And uh, if you all participate this and, and finish it, then you get 10 points of extra credit. And everybody was really excited. And at the end of class, they all like gave me high fives and they loved Professor Shackman because everybody got extra credit. And that was great until the end of the semester. Because it turns out the class, I'd given 10 extra credit points and the class only consisted of a total of 120 points. And so at the end of the semester, the real professor is looking over um, the grades and he's thinking, how do some of these kids have 105? Like, this isn't supposed to happen. And so he called me and he said, hey, Brian, I have a question. Did you give some extra credit to your kids? And I said, uh, yeah, it was, it was a while back on the semester. And he's like, well, there's a problem with that. I don't allow extra credit in my class and I'm going to have to take it away. 
And luckily I was graduating. And so I was like, whatever, I'm never going to see these people again. But I really felt it's one of the most Jesus-like moments that someone has stepped in and had to make some really hard phone calls because the grades were already out. Some of these kids had A's and they were going to turn to B's. Some people had C's that (laughs) turned to D's. It was not a good situation. And I still see that guy from time to time. And uh, he says to me, it's one thing to not give extra credit. It's a whole other thing to give it and then take it away. Like it, was, it was not a good moment. When you are living your life, like eventually, whatever it is that you're doing, you're going to have consequences for it. It's going to make a difference in the here and now and not just off in the future. And as we think about that, as we think about what it means for us uh, to be Christian people, if you are a Christian, if you're not, I'm so glad that you're listening or that you're joining us today. But if you are a Christian person who has like signed up and said, I want to follow Jesus with my life, it's important for us to remember that our calling isn't just about forgiveness of sins. It's about being part of God's life and presence more and more now. As Jim shared, that the temple is available to us more and more now. It's important, I, I see this phrase used all the time, to know your why. Like know the why behind what it is that you're doing. And we now have a, a why in our church who's a bass player. And he's going to be like, keep looking up when I talk about uh, the why. We're very thankful for why's uh, bass playing skills. But it's so easy to forget like our why as followers of Jesus is to be about God's kingdom and purposes more and more in the here and now. Not just about avoiding some bad place off in the future. It's about participating in God's life. When you look at the Old Testament, specifically uh, the early books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and, and Deuteronomy, some of these books, like you could say that it's like a party planning guide. That God says, I want you to, on the third day of this month, kill this animal. And as you do that, then you're going to have a special celebration with your family. And you're going to set aside that time. And you're going to do like this for four days. And then you're going to do this thing for that other days. Like you're going to do this and this and this. So you remember who you are and you remember then whose you are. If you know somebody who perhaps is, is Jewish. It's, it's amazing and incredible to see the way that they throughout the year celebrate and set aside and remember. That's consistent in the early books of the Old Testament. It is really like, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to stop your regular life to remember that I'm with you in all these moments. I want you to sit around table with family and have conversations about what God is doing in the here and now. It wasn't just about a long time ago. Romans chapter 12 then says, I don't have these scriptures, but in view of God's mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Titus says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodly things. The grace of God teaches us then to participate more in life with God now. I've heard it said this way before, and I think it's great. We live from the blessing of God, not for the blessing of God. That you receive God's grace and mercy, and then that affects how you act moving forward. That you remember that grace, and you act in a different way moving forward. 
I think sometimes we can believe that, yeah, God is trustworthy for once I die and once I'm out of control of things, but God doesn't really know what it's like to live in 2021 Los Angeles. It's a very complex world, right? There's a lot that, you know, God doesn't really understand or it's just kind of old school and doesn't really make sense anymore. So, you know, Jesus, I'll trust you with the very end, but for the rest of the time, I'm gonna be pretty much with my hands on the wheel. But Jesus teaches into times, the Old Testament teaches into times that were very complex, which were very hard, and says over and over again, you know, you can participate more in God's life as you find yourself in exile. You can participate more and more in, in God's life while you are under Roman oppression. You can participate more and more with God's life as you live in a complex place like 2021 Los Angeles. After 2020, which is a very hard year and still we're struggling and trying to figure out what it is that we are doing. You can live more and more in a promised land with God, even as sometimes you have more questions than answers about life. As God speaks about the, the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 32 uh, says this. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. And turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings on Mount Ebal, the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan westward toward the setting sun near the great trees of Morah. In in this territory of the Canaanites living in the Arabah, in the vicinity of Gilgal, you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and you are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. And as you read passages like that, the names and all the cities and all these places, they can sound a little bit like Charlie Brown's teacher, like blah, blah, and you just read past and don't really think about it. But God is talking about, this is a specific place and a specific time. And you, my people, you are called to live into these decrees and laws and to continue to obey them because that is going to help you thrive in that place and in that time. That is what is going to help you as you follow and, and pursue me with your life. So again, this is a theme in the Old Testament and it's a theme in the New Testament that God's grace is, is for us and it's for our sins, but then it's also about living in a different way. It's about living out who God would want us to be. And this is what grace is. It's about your sins being forgiven so that you can then walk as a new person. When Jesus teaches, the thing he talks about more than any other is the kingdom of God. And to the people who would have heard that for the first time, it would have made absolutely no sense. Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. It's now. And imagine somebody on a street corner saying that today. You're walking right past someone and they're like, hey, the kingdom of God is here. And you would say to that person, well, do you know what, what has just happened? Do you know like, what's going on with COVID? Or the kingdom of God is here? Do you know who our president is? Or who the one before it was? Some of you are a little scared. Don't worry, I'm gonna offend everybody. But, you know, 
how, how is that? How is, how is he? How is our government? How is all of this stuff? How, how, is, how is your kingdom here? It doesn't make sense. And it would have been just as confusing to the people who first heard it. Because Jesus teaches largely to Jewish people, though he also includes outsiders, which doesn't make sense to the Jews who are there. But Jesus teaches to Jewish people who were under Roman rule and oppression. And some estimates are that the Roman government would tax the people between 70 and 80 percent. So if you think your taxes in California are bad, just it's a little bit worse than back in that day. And so they would have heard that. And so the kingdom of God, that doesn't make any sense. Like there's, there's a, a king right now on the throne who is completely against this. And then shortly after that, as the Christian movement starts to, to keep going, there are, are rulers, there are emperors who were notoriously awful to Christians, who persecuted Christians. And so if you're thinking of it in these terms, you know, that doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? But Jesus says over and over again to people like that, to people like us, no, that the kingdom of God is here and now. It's available to you. And you, as you live into this reality by, by continuing to obey from grace, you can live out this kingdom wherever you happen to be. I keep hearing that this is the most divided time in our nation's history, and perhaps that's true. Maybe it is the most divided time in our nation's history. But I think about how when I was in college, there was a hotly debated war. And before that, there was the Vietnam War, which was also very hotly debated. Let's go to a better time. How about, you know, the civil rights movement? That was hard. There isn't a time that you can, you know, I wish I could just transport to a time where everything was peaceful and we all just like lived in perfect harmony. And perhaps we're more divided than ever. Perhaps that's true. But it's not like there was a time where everyone was living in harmony, right? There will be wars and rumors of wars. There's just going to be things that are going on that are stressful that will fill your heart with anxiety if you choose to live into that space. But Jesus says to you and to me, no, 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 you can live into the kingdom of God in the here and now. And just imagine Jesus saying that to crowds of people who were oppressed by Roman rule, to prostitutes, to outsiders, to people who wouldn't necessarily feel fit to sit around Jesus' table. I often try to say that it's said that Jesus was killed because of who he ate with. And he says to people who feel perhaps very far from God, no, the kingdom of God is so available to you. That's great news, isn't it? Mark Twain, the author, really enjoyed visiting the Holy Land. And he was talking with a friend uh, who lived in the United States and was thinking about going to visit. And Twain famously said to his friend, you can definitely go and it's worth doing the visit, but you could also stay home in Boston and try to live out the teachings that were taught there. The promised land has more to do with us being transformed wherever we happen to be and visiting one place or one time or some event off 
in the future. Jesus says to oppressed, sinful, broken people just like us that the kingdom of God is more available and present to you than you might think. And you can live into that reality every single day. Eugene Peterson, who's a fantastic author and scholar, he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I think it's a great illustration of the Christian life. Peterson says this, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. There's a great market for having that really nice feeling and, and, you know, putting your hand in the air and feeling that closeness to God on a Sunday morning, which we get the opportunity to do when we worship, and that's really fantastic. But it is not just about this one hour. This one hour of the week helps us, hopefully, to participate more with God in all the other hours of the week, to recognize that God is just as present here as God is with you on your job on Wednesday that God is just as present with you. Perhaps when you come face to face with your brokenness and your sin and you feel far from God and Jesus says to you, no, you are invited back around the table with me. You can participate in life with God now. There was a philosopher and author named David Foster Wallace, who perhaps you're familiar with. He gave very many like really influential talks and uh, was really just a a great thinker. And sadly, when he was uh, early in his career still, he he died by suicide. And right before that happened, uh, he said this about the experience in the world. He said, there's something particularly sad about it, something that doesn't have very much to do with physical circumstances or the economy or any of the stuff that gets talked about on the news. It's more like a stomach-level sadness. I see it in myself and my friends in different ways. It manifests itself as a kind of lostness. I think it's interesting that he uses that word. Whether it's unique to our generation, I really don't know. I was white, upper middle class, obscenely well-educated, had had way more career success than I could have legitimately hoped for, and was sort of adrift. A lot of my friends were the same way. Some of them were deeply into drugs. Others were unbelievable workaholics. Some were going to singles bars every night. You could see it played out in 20 different ways, but it's the same thing. I get the feeling that a lot of us, privileged Americans, as we enter into our early 30s, have, a, have to find a way to put away childish things and confront stuff about spirituality and values. I think he's right. Because I've seen this, I felt this at times in myself, and I think I've seen this in, in friends as well. There's a certain kind of lostness that... Some of my friends have walked away from faith, and sometimes for good reasons. And I think about, do you really know where it is that you're going? Like, what are you headed towards? And they've had perhaps some bad experiences or don't line up on on certain beliefs, but I've seen this in my friends, this certain kind of a drift feeling, this, this lostness. And to people who feel that way, perhaps, 
Jesus says, there's something better in me. My spirit and presence is here. There's a path to holiness and the kingdom of God is available to you. And I think this is good news, not just for people who maybe don't go to church. This is great news for, for Christians who can maybe be at it at, for time after time. And it, and it can sometimes feel like we aren't really getting in that space. But I think about what Jesus teaches. He teaches about three spiritual practices. When he's, doing, when he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about prayer and he teaches about fasting and he teaches about giving. Those are the three things that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, like, this is things that you should practice. And if you Google all three of those things, there are studies not done by Christian people that tell you that they have unbelievable health benefits, all three of those things. Like unbelievable health benefits to be generous with what you have, to spend time in prayer and meditation there's these apps all over now for fasting. Like, wow, fasting is a really good idea. Jesus is like, I know, I told you a while ago. <laughs> we have been reading this book in, in our community book, in our community group, not book. Um, Always We Begin Again. It's a, a new translation of uh, the Benedictine rule, which was written by St. Benedict. And at the beginning of this book, I just want to read a few short lines right at the beginning. Almost everything monks and nuns do is good for them. Studies from MRI machines and observations of their brains um, as Tibetan monks are, are engaged in traditional loving kindness meditation reveal pro pronounced increases in electrical, man, I'm struggling with this, electrical activity and blood flow in the left prefrontal cortex. This is the part of the brain associated with states of happiness and well-being. Maintaining loving thoughts incre increases serotonin levels. Serotonin is a natural chemical that tends to reduce anxiety and increase calmness. Multinational surveys reveal that in every culture, the people who report being the most satisfied with life are its most altruistic members. Volunteers who were assigned to spend money on others experienced greater happiness than those assigned to spend money on themselves. Simply being in silence reduces stress and blood pressure. Persons who meditated daily for two or more months were less depressed, anxious, and angry than before. Choral singing and chant raise serotonin levels. Being cheerful and smiling release endorphins and serotonin into the bloodstream and reduce blood pressure. Endorphins are natural chemicals which have a morphine-like effect. People engaged in regular meditation produce less of the stress hormone cortisol. They have reduced risk of heart attack and stroke. Regular periods of focused concentration, such as during meditation and Lectio Divina, which is scriptural reading, fight dementia. In fact, meditation is prescribed as a treatment for dementia. Contrary to previous assumptions, it is now believed that new growth can be accomplished even in older brains. And that's good news for some of us, right? The more human beings practice any behavior, including the maintenance of certain thought patterns, Patterns, the more the brain responds by embedding that behavior into its dendrites. Dendrites are branches of nerve fibers through which the brain's neurons communicate with each other. Repetition of behavior, whether one's tennis serve or certain thoughts, causes the connections related to that behavior to strengthen. And the chapter goes on and on. There are, are countless 
benefits to practicing the life that Jesus encourages us to. And again, these aren't Christian studies. These are MRI machines. People standing back and saying, wow, it's almost like this stuff works. And Jesus says to all of us, this isn't just about escaping your life here because it's so bad. It's about encouraging your heart and your mind more and more into the life that is available to you. Church, the kingdom of God is here and it's now. And it's for broken people. And it's for hurting people. It's for people who are filled with anxiety. And that doesn't mean that every time you spend a moment in silence that it's going to produce this, this profound feeling in you. But know that a long obedience in the same direction, these type of commitments, that they are forming us into certain kinds of people. Blaise Pascal in the 1600s said, the major problem with the world is that a man cannot sit in a quiet room alone. And that was before smartphones. I don't even understand what they were doing in that time. But we need to be able to, to sit with ourselves and to sit with God and to understand that God's presence is with us in this moment. Even as we live in a complex time, in a complex city, God is on the throne and God isn't up in heaven pacing back and forth. God is with us and God's presence is here. So let's stand and we'll sing together. But I hope that this week you participate in the life of God you recognize that just as shocking as it was for Jesus to say in that time and place, the kingdom of God is here, we need to hear that news. And just as shocking as it is for us, we get the opportunity to hear that the kingdom of God is here for all of us. In 2021, Los Angeles, God's presence is here and with you. And we live from that blessing, not for that blessing. And we become more and more of who God has called us to be.